0: Healthy Hacker, episode 22. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Hacker, where we talk about programming puzzles, memory fitness diet, and everything else that you, a healthy hacker, find interesting. I'm Chris Hunt, and today we're going to talk a little bit about Elixir which is a programming language. It shares some stuff in common with Ruby, but not a lot. And it's something I've been using for about a month now, and so I thought I'd compare some of the differences I've seen, because it's pretty different in almost every single way. And I've been having a lot of fun learning it. So I'm gonna share some of the big differences between Ruby and Elixir, and hopefully it'll get you excited about trying it out because I actually think it's a great programming language, especially for web development. And I could see myself using it quite a bit in the future. It's just, it's just a total blast. And maybe that's just because it's different and I'm so used to using Ruby, but it's also just got some really cool features. Before we get into that though, let's do the workout of the week. The workout of the week is a section where I just like to take a workout I've done this week that I've really enjoyed and I share it with you. And if you're looking for something to do this week, maybe you'll give it a shot. These workouts, I've been trying to come up with ones that don't use much equipment, so it's easy for anybody to do. Today's workout does require a jump rope. But these are fairly inexpensive, and they're a lot of fun to have anyway. The the jump rope that I use is by a company called RX Smart Gear, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you wanted to buy that rope. But pretty much any rope will work. The, The nice thing about the one by RX Smart Gear and other ropes like this is they have little ball bearings in them, so they spin really nice. And It sounds expensive, but it's not. You can adjust the weight of the rope and get any length you want and get cool colors and stuff like that. So if you're going to jump rope a lot, those ropes are great because they'll last a long time and they make it a little bit easier. The workout today is five rounds and each round you're going to be doing double unders and sit-ups. And a double under is just like it sounds. It's doing a jump rope except the rope goes under your feet two times every time you jump. So instead of just jumping over the rope, one time it's going under two times, double under. And then a sit-up is the sit-up that you may be familiar with already. You're on your back, you sit up, touch your hands to your toes, and lay back down again. If you can't do a double under, then go ahead and just do single unders. A normal jump rope is fine. Then go ahead and do a single under, just jumping over the rope as normal, and then eventually you'll be able to work up and do double unders. It really is something that anybody can do. You just need some practice. So it's five rounds, and each round has a different number of repetitions. The first round is 50, the second round is 40, then 30, then 20, then 10. So the five rounds are 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 repetitions of double unders and sit-ups, and you do that as fast as you can. Enjoy. So, what is Elixir? Let's do a quick overview here. So, I like to think of Elixir as Erlang with a sprinkle of Ruby. So, Erlang is a programming language that's been around for a long time. Actually, Elixir's been around for a long time now too, but Erlang's been around for a long, long time. And it's pretty common. It's not like a rarely used language. It's just not as common, I guess, in projects I've worked on. But For applications that need to stay up for long periods of time, like, for example, your cell phone provider, they typically use Erlang or something like Erlang to do that. For example, if you're on T-Mobile and they need to release a new version of their network, they've fixed a bug in their cell phone towers or something, they don't want to disconnect everybody's phone call to release that bug, right? They can't just restart the application. So that's one of the main reasons why they use a language like Erlang to do that, because it allows you to hot-swap your code while the application is still running. You can put out a bug fix or a new feature and not have to disconnect anybody from the network. Erlang is also massively concurrent, so you can have a whole bunch of people connected, talking on the phone, And it's not an issue at all. Erlang is also really popular in multiplayer gaming. A lot of game servers like Call of Duty, for example, use Erlang on the gaming server side to handle all those connections and keep people connected when they release network updates. So Elixir is built on top of the same virtual machine as Erlang. So it has all the same benefits of Erlang, all the same features, but it's kinda got that sprinkling of Ruby syntax and developer happiness on there to make it a little bit more friendly for people who are familiar with Ruby or have a Ruby background or just, I guess even JavaScript. All these new fancy tools, you know, uh, give us a lot of niceties that we don't get with Erlang. So, Elixir gives us some prettier syntax that's a little bit more familiar if you've got a Ruby background. It gives us some build tools Gives us like macros, which are similar to meta programming in Ruby, but a little bit different. It lets us do dynamic programming. And then it also adds some package management and a few other things. Now because also this is a compiled language, we get really big performance gains when compared to Ruby, like really, really big performance gains, and all of the Erlang libraries that already exist out there we can use with no performance penalties in Elixir. So there's a big collection of tools out there available for us to use, wonderful performance, lots of other little benefits we'll dive into, like functional programming, Everything is stateless. We can spin up multiple processes. We already talked about hot code swapping, supervisors to keep stuff running, pipelines for passing around data and building up workflows, pattern matching, inline documentation, static type checking, automatic formatting, service-oriented architecture made easy, all these crazy things that we don't really get for free in Ruby that Elixir just comes with right out of the box. So that's pretty cool. Let's... uh first talk about some of the small stuff, some of the small changes, and how that maps from Elixir to Ruby. Okay, so here's some of the small differences, kind of the one-to-one mappings here. So in Ruby, we use Rake, right? We use Rake for running our tests, for doing all kinds of little maintenance things, for building a gem, pushing a gem to RubyGems, whatever. Elixir provides Mix, which is a command line tool for doing a lot of those kinds of tasks. That's one similarity. In Ruby, we have one file extension, .rb. In Elixir, you're going to see two different file extensions most of the time. You're going to see .ex and .exs. Most of our application code is going to be .ex. Actually, probably all of our application code is going to be .ex. It's going to be compiled, and it's going to run on Beam, the Erlang virtual machine. .exs is a script in Elixir. It's not compiled, and usually we see these for tests or configuration files. But again, most of the stuff we're going to see is going to be .ex, which is compiled. As I mentioned a little earlier, Elixir also gives us some tools for metaprogramming. These are called macros and they're just as confusing as Ruby metaprogramming, but not quite as powerful. In Ruby, we have IRB that we can use in our terminal to open up an interactive Ruby session. We can either play with stuff or test stuff. Basically, it just gives us a way to use Ruby without having to put it into a file. Elixir provides IEX, which is very similar. You can open it up on the command line, you can recompile your code, you can test stuff. One of the really cool features about IEX that I haven't seen in Ruby is inline documentation. All of the standard libraries that Elixir provides and your own code can be fully documented and that documentation can be read in IEX while you're using it. So if you pull up a function and you want to get a little bit more details on the usage, you don't need to open up a web browser. You can look at the documentation right in line. Another really cool feature about this documentation is it's tested. So if you give code examples in your documentation that says, if you pass in this, you'll get this. You know, like it's typical that we do in our docs. We have a couple example usages. Those examples are actually executed at compile time. And if there's any difference between your documentation and your code you'll be notified so it's also a great way to keep your documentation up to date and not worry about it you know falling out of sync with changes Something that's common in a Ruby project, at least when you're working with multiple people, is to use some third-party tool. There there are plenty out there that allow you to enforce some style guides, like a certain hash syntax or a maximum characters in a line. Uh, Elixir has this built in. There's a command called mix format, and it'll automatically format your code for you. So you can use that before checking it in so that there's a common appearance and structure to the code with everybody working on the team and you don't need to have pull requests complaining about formatting, white space formatting and and things like that. So Elixir has this built in. It's completely customizable. You can set the formatting to whatever you want and then check that in with your project. So anybody working on your project will have the same formatting. And then lastly, one cool small thing I wanted to mention here is something that we do in Ruby applications, and this was especially common a few years ago, is we have been trying to break up our massive Rails apps into several smaller services and then have those services talk to each other. And the goal there is to make it so we can work quicker on one service and add features to another service and not have to mess with another one and maybe have different teams working in parallel, maybe have different docs for each service so it's easy to understand, maybe use the one of these separate services in many different projects, right? Let us reuse it just like we like to reuse our code. But one of the downsides of these clustering of services is now we have six different Git repositories with six different projects And if we want to add a feature that spans across these services, it requires six different pull requests, right? What Elixir provides is this thing called an umbrella application, which is a wrapper that you can use around all of your applications that exist together. And this kind of mitigates those problems and lets you take these multiple services and check them into one Git repository and lets you share configuration across them. Like if you have environment variables or other application configs that they all share in common, you can put that in the umbrella application and all of your separate services will be able to launch with that same configuration. So that's kind of a cool thing too. So that's it for the kind of small stuff there. Let's now look at one of the big differences between Ruby and elixir one of the core differences between ruby and elixir is the way that we wrap up our behavior so ruby is object oriented it doesn't have to be written in an object oriented way but this is usually the way that we do it especially if we're using something like rails we create a bunch of objects they have data stored on them and they have behavior inside of them as well that relates to that object so a person might have a first name and a last name stored on it and then maybe it has a hello method that greets somebody or something you know what i'm trying to say right that's object oriented we have code that resembles an object and has all the stuff that we would expect of an object including state and its behavior elixir is not like that elixir is immutable So there is state, but the state can't be changed. If you wanna change state, then the way to do that is to copy the thing and change it at that time. So if we did have a person that we wanted to represent in Elixir, and that person had a first name and last name, if we wanted to change the last name of that person, we'd have to create a new person, copy over the first name, and provide a different last name in that new person. So you can't change data. Elixir is functional, meaning that everything is a function. All of our state is passed as a parameter. There is no global state that anything can access. And all the data you need for performing your you know, task as a function is in the argument list. You can look right at it. So this gives us a couple of benefits. One, testing does not require any kind of setup, really. So to go back to our Ruby example, if we have a user object and we have a first name and a last name on that user, and then we have a method called full name that takes the first name and the last name and merges them together and returns it. If we have that in Ruby, if we were doing a test, our test might look something like creating a user, assigning the first name to that user. Let's say we say user.firstname equals Chris. Then we assign a last name, let's say user.lastname equals Hunt, and then we'll call User.fullname, and we will assert that the full name equals Chris Hunt, right? So we got four lines of code there. Three of them were set up, creating the user, setting the first name, setting the last name, and then we called the the method full name and we tested it. So that kind of setup, as your application gets more and more large, like a Rails application, gets huge, right? Like when we're testing, I've seen Rails applications all the time. You're testing a controller and you've got to load all kinds of stuff into the database. You've got to set sessions up. You've got to create some user accounts, maybe create an admin account. There's a lot of setup you got to do, right? It's very complicated, very slow, sometimes very hard to understand. But in Elixir, you don't have that because there is no state. There's no global state that needs to be set up. Instead, when you're testing your function, you're going to pass everything into that function that it needs to do its job. So to get back to our user example, let's say we wanted to test a full name function in Elixir. Well, that full name function would actually have two parameters. It would have a first name parameter and a last name parameter. So there's no setup now. When we're testing this full name function, we're going to have one line that calls the function full name and passes in to that function a first name and a last name. And then we can assert that the response is Chris Hunt or whatever we're testing. That's pretty cool. And, and we can certainly write code like that in Ruby, but in Elixir, you have to write code like that. So That means that all of the code you're working with is written in that way by default. Now, even though we're working in a functional world, we still get all the benefits that we get with Ruby's standard library. So for example, with a Ruby string, we've got a bunch of cool stuff we can do with strings that Ruby just lets us do. We can split it, we can reverse it, we can upcase it, and we can call those methods right on the string. Well, remember, Elixir is functional, so we don't have a string that we can call methods on, but we do have a module called string that we can pass stuff into to do those same kind of manipulations. So you could call the module string.split and pass in your string as an argument and it'll return a new copy of that string that's been split. And there's a ton of this stuff just like there is in Ruby. We just have to remember that that behavior isn't mixed into the object we're working with and it's just a separate function that we can call and pass our thing into to have that action performed on it. So it's a little bit of a different mindset to get into, but we still get a lot of the helpers that we're used to in Ruby. We just use them a slightly different way. And even though Elixir isn't object-oriented, it does provide a data structure called a struct which is just like a map like a hash map except it lets you define exactly what keys are allowed to be in there and some other information as well so what this means is you can still create a struct for a person for example that has a first name last name age and you can enforce that those are the only three things that can go into a person and the cool thing about elixir versus ruby in this way is those attributes are checked at compile time, so you get type safety. So all throughout your application, every time you use a person, you can only put in a first name and a last name and an age, and they can only be of certain types, and the compiler will verify that information for you, so you will never run into the situation while your application is running that you'll have a person with some weird data in it because the compiler is going to check in advance before your application even runs that you're using your person correctly. So a struct gives us that nice kind of wrapper for data, but unlike Ruby, we have the extra advantage of that data being verified and checked at compile time before our application even runs. So now we've got kind of some of the differences between object-oriented and functional. Next, let's talk about pattern matching, which is something that makes Elixir's functional programming really powerful. When you first look at Elixir functions, they look very similar to a Ruby method. You have a def name, and then you have a list of parameters that it accepts. The difference here though is in Ruby, you can define a method and then you can go down a few more lines and you can define the method again and it's going to overwrite your previous definition. And a lot of the libraries that we use rely on this behavior of just being able to overwrite and redefine things inside of a class. In Elixir, though, functions behave quite a bit differently. It's not just the name of the function that makes it unique, it's the name and the arity and the patterns that it matches. Well, we already know how to read the name of a function, that's fairly clear. But the arity and the pattern, what are those? So arity, if you've never heard of the word arity before, it just means the number of parameters. So if I have a function that accepts two parameters, the arity of that function is two. If I have a function that accepts three parameters, the arity of that function is three. In Elixir, those are two different functions. So I could define a full name function with just one parameter called first name. And then immediately after that I can define another function called full name that has two parameters, first name and last name. And then I could define a third full name function that takes first name, middle name and last name. All three of those functions will coexist and depending on how many arguments you pass into the function when you use it is going to decide which of those is called. So if I pass in just the first name then that function that I defined with an arity of one is going to be called. Whereas if I pass in the first name and the last name, then my function that I defined with two parameters will be called instead. So we're not overriding our function. We're just creating multiple versions of the function. And the data that we pass into that function will decide which one of them is called. Now that's just the arity. So we have the name and the arity, but there's also a third identifier that functions have, and that is the patterns that they match. So not only can I define a function that takes a certain number of parameters, I can define a pattern that those parameters must have, and that is also used to uniquely identify my function. So I could define a function that accepts a first name and a last name. I could also define a function that accepts only first names that start with C. Or I could define a function that has only last names that equal hunt. And so now we've got this really powerful ability to create 20 different versions, if we want to, of the same function. And each of those functions does a very specific thing based on a very specific input. So what this means in practice is we no longer need to use if-else statements, we no longer need to use case statements, we're able to remove a bunch of branching. Because in most of the scenarios where I would use if this, then that, or a case statement, I can actually just create multiple versions of the same function and pass in my data to those functions. And depending on what that data looks like, depending on the kind of things we would have put in our if-else statement, we can create pattern matching and change the arity and do all these things. And the correct behavior will happen because we've defined a function to handle that case. So this is pretty cool. It makes the code really easy to read. We may have six different versions of the same function that all match different arities and patterns, but they're all grouped together in the file and you can see them all right there. And here's the cool part, You can test them all individually as well because they're all separate functions and they all take their own inputs. So you can write several different test cases for each different version of your branching and it's quite easy to do and there's no setup you need to do to do that. So that's pretty cool. And once you have these set up, once you have all these functions that do all these different things, It makes your code look real clean because you don't have branch statements. You don't have a long if-else block. Your functions are very small, they're very tidy. If your data changes in some way, you can easily add another function that matches that data. And while your application is running, if for whatever reason data comes in that you haven't been able to match, Elixir will tell you about it. You'll be able to see an error. You'll be able to handle that. You can even set up a like a base case version of your function. So if none of your patterns match, then you'll have a, a base case right at the bottom that'll handle all the exceptional cases. So it's quite powerful. And, and Elixir leverages this even with this thing called pipelines, which is a very pretty syntax that allows you to pass data through all these functions and string them in. and It looks just like a pipe. It's pretty cool. You just have data, and then you pass it through all these different pipes, all these different functions, and and the right thing will happen because you've set up different versions of them, and then you see the pipe end, and then the data comes out the other end. It's pretty cool to see. You can see the whole flow of your application by building this little pipeline, and it gets all the work done for you. So once our application is structured in this way, it's functional, we don't have state, all the data we need is being passed in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That enables us to do some really cool things. And in Elixir, there's a pattern called OTP, and that's what we'll talk about next. What is OTP? Well, the real question is, what does OTP stand for? And to that, there is no answer, surprisingly. I have no idea what OTP stands for. I have seen a number of explanations, but I'm pretty sure OTP is not an acronym. And it's got some weird history that I haven't learned yet, but I have kind of figured out what it is, and so that's what I'm going to talk about now. OTP is a, a very core concept in Elixir, And it's one of the most confusing for me to learn at first. So we know that Elixir is functional, right? And all the data that a function needs to do its thing is passed in as an argument. There's no global state that it needs to access. Each function is isolated. It can be tested on its own. We know the inputs. We know the outputs. And that has some cool benefits that we can leverage and that elixir and erlang do leverage and what that allows us to do is run multiple versions of the same function side by side and not really worry about synchronizing anything between them because they don't share any data they're both doing their own thing they can both take a different input put out a different output and if we're running functions at the same time that means we can run them on different processes we can run them on different computers We can run any number of them at the same time, and this is concurrency, right? This is something that's a little challenging to do in Ruby because we need to synchronize data between our different processes and threads in order to do stuff at the same time. But with Elixir, there's nothing to synchronize because it's just inputs and outputs, and there's no shared state. So this is one of the primary benefits of Erlang and Elixir, and it's the main reason that most people decide to use it. Elixir has these things called processes, and these processes are managed by the Erlang virtual machine. Now, these aren't processes like Computer processes like operating processes, and they're not—they don't correspond to a thread. They don't correspond to a CPU core. These are processes just inside the virtual machine, and you can have millions of them on the same piece of hardware, like I, on your laptop. You could run a Elixir application with thousands and thousands of processes. And your machine will be able to handle it just fine, because these aren't CPU cores, these aren't operating processes. They're very, very lightweight, they're very fast, and Beam is very good at managing them. So most people, when they write an Elixir application, they're able to spread their application across a ton of different processes, just keep spinning them up. And the behavior of those processes is monitored by a thing called a supervisor which is just like it sounds, it supervises a collection of processes and if anything bad happens, it'll fix it. So if a process breaks or starts throwing an error, the supervisor will do what it's told to do. So in most cases that means just restart it. So if we've got a process working on a thing over here, oops, there's a mistake, something we don't recognize, maybe an input that we didn't match or something, it'll blow up and then our supervisor will go ahead and just restart that process and try again. If a supervisor keeps re- restarting a process and it's failed you know, a number of times, then that supervisor will actually kill itself. And then the supervisor's supervisor will restart the supervisor and restart the processes. And this sounds very complicated, and it is, but what this means is if we have a bug in our application that we're able to easily reproduce, then we fix it, just like normal. But... If we have a bug in our application that's only happening once a week, once a month, or someone's filed a bug report and we just can't reproduce it, right? these things that happen all the time, can't reproduce, can't write a test to reproduce it, we just basically ignore those errors and we just let our application die. And when it does die, our supervisor is going to be able to restart the process and get it back into a known good state so everything runs fine again. And the users of our application don't even see this happening because there's so many copies of the processes already running. So if one dies, it doesn't matter because there's another one over here doing the work. If we've got thousands of little web servers receiving web requests, all running aside the virtual machine as processes, right? Handling requests as they come in, and one blows up because of some weird input, the application will continue to run because there's other processes out there taking care of business. So this is the idea of OTP. We got a bunch of different processes doing their own thing. Those processes are being supervised by a supervisor that reacts to any issues and fixes them for us. And Elixir provides this module called a gen server, which wraps up this behavior for us and handles all the boilerplates. So we can easily write our own supervisors to keep our application running at all times and all these processes aren't just you know completely isolated doing their own thing they can actually talk to each other each process has a name or a ID, and they can send messages to and fro. Each one of the processes has a mailbox, so if you send a bunch of messages, say I fire off 100 messages to this process over here and it's busy doing something else, it'll hold those messages in a queue in its mailbox and process them when it has the time. It's very similar, actually, when I I think about it. It's very similar to Sidekick, which is something that we use in Rails applications all the time, right? If we have a Rails web application receiving web requests, we don't want to do really slow stuff in that request. Right? We want to respond as quickly as possible, and then maybe we'll put a message into Redis, which will then be picked up by Sidekick, which is a job processing library, and it'll go through and do background jobs, right? Every application we write, every Rails application just about... We put some kind of job processing framework on there just because that's the best way to get stuff done quickly in the background and let our main process, the one that's handling like a web request, respond quickly. Whereas in something like Elixir, you don't need a sidekick and you don't need a Redis queue or anything like that because it's built into the language. If you've got a task you want to do, you could fire off that task to any number of processes that are running in the same virtual machine. They'll receive it, toss it in their mailbox, do the thing, and then maybe they'll fire you a message back or fire a message to somebody else. This whole you know, bucket of processes is very much like a sidekick worker queue, just processing stuff. And you can have multiple copies of the same processes, all doing the same stuff and scale it up and down as necessary. There's a really sweet video, a really cool talk that someone did. And uh, unfortunately, I can't pronounce his name, but I did put a link to his video in the show notes if you wanna watch it. It's a great visual representation of spinning up these processes, killing them, having the supervisor restart them. And because these processes can be spun up and spun down and restarted, and they're always being supervised, this is what makes the hot code swapping possible as well. If we have a new version of our code that we wanna deploy, we can deploy it alongside the old version and then have our supervisor go ahead and kill the old processes and spin up the new processes without even killing our application. So if people are using our web app and we want to add a feature, we can do that without a redeploy, without creating a new version and moving people over to it. We can deploy right inside the same application and just slowly spin down and spin up different versions of the code so that people see the new feature. It's pretty cool. So if Elixir sounds like something you want to try and you're looking for a web framework, one that is very popular and has a lot of the like same philosophy as Rails is called Phoenix. This is just, just like Rails. It's MVC, Model View Controller. It's got routes and migrations and templates. It's got a lot of stuff you're used to. Now, it doesn't include a lot of the active support type stuff where it just got a ton of behavior that's provided for you, but it does provide that same structure for creating a web app. And a lot of the syntax and like even the file directories are the same, so it's pretty easy to, to get ramped up. I mean, the routes file and migration file, I mean, they look very similar. Templates, templates are similar as well. Same syntax as ERB. In fact, Elixir has has templating, it's called EEX, Embedded Elixir. It's actually built into Elixir. It's not even part of the Phoenix web framework. It's built into Elixir itself. So you could, if you wanted to, with any Elixir application use this templating for injecting Elixir into a template. This is something that's just built in and it's got the same little you know percent equals syntax that you're already familiar with with, uh, with ERB. Anyways, Phoenix Web Framework, very similar to Rails, but one of the differences you're going to notice right away is, one, sometimes people don't even use databases with their Phoenix application because, as we mentioned already, you could have an Elixir application run forever, for years, without ever having to restart it because you can do hot code reloads, fix bugs, add features, whatever, and so, any of the state that you would be storing in a database, oftentimes you can just store in your application in the virtual machine because the processes themselves will be passing around the state. And you don't necessarily need to write that to a database. Because your app, you're not going to be turning off your application, right? It'll just run forever. And there are many Erlang applications that have been running for years and years and years and years and have never been restarted. And for you know, for that use case, you don't even need a database. But if you do want to use a database, there's a library for that as as well. I think it's called Ecto, um, and it's you know very similar to Active Record. It's a nice little wrapper around SQL and gives you lots of stuff. One of the things you're going to notice about Phoenix, though. Is when you're looking at your logs, right? When you make your first app and do your first request, it is so much faster than Rails that you're gonna start seeing response times in the microseconds range instead of the milliseconds range. It's kind of weird at first because I'm so used to seeing millisecond response times Then once you see microsecond response times, it's it's a little bit jarring. But again, it's just one of those cool things and this is going to enable you to run many thousands or millions even of request handlers for your web application on a pretty small hosting plan if that's what you're looking to do. So if you want to get started with Elixir today, here are some of the resources that I used and and, and going to continue to use because I'm still very new to it myself. The one that I found the most helpful actually is on Pragmatic Studio, which uh, you may have heard of Pragmatic Bookshelf, which is a great place to buy books. And there is an Elixir book on Pragmatic Bookshelf. I think the book is in beta right now, but you can still buy the book and and you'll be able to you'll basically be getting the beta updates as you read it but the book as it exists now is still very useful i've read that book that was good but actually what i enjoyed the most is on pragmatic studio which is kind of like a i don't know i don't know the relationship it's kind of like a sister company they're not the same company pragmatic bookshelf and pragmatic studio are different but pragmatic studio is videos and it's got a couple there mike and nicole that are building in Elixir from nothing to the final product, they're building a web server, which uh, kind of flexes all these features of Elixir that we talked about. You know, you're gonna have to handle multiple requests at once, so you're gonna be doing the concurrency thing, you're gonna be rendering templates yourself, you're gonna be parsing, you know, headers and, and doing tons of pattern matching and setting up a gen server supervisor, so it's a great little application that they build for you in videos. It's 30 videos. It's fairly long. But again, I really enjoyed it. Pretty cheesy commentary back and forth between the two. But yeah, I enjoyed it. It was it was a lot of fun. And then besides that, another great resource is just the Getting Started Guide on elixirlang.org. And there are a couple different Elixir channels. There's a Slack channel and a message board. I actually didn't find those two very useful. The message board a little bit more so, but... The Slack channel was, at least to me, seemed just like a bunch of people asking questions about their application to get help and nobody answering. (laughs) So it wasn't actually that useful for learning purposes. But uh, yeah, Pragmatic Studio Videos, Getting Started Guide on elixirlang.org, and uh, I'll have a few other links as well in the show notes if you want to check those out. So that's it for today. I hope that if uh, you've heard the heard about Elixir and you weren't really sure what was going on, you had a few questions answered. It's very different than Ruby, uh, but a, a fun change of pace. I've, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. If you have any questions uh, or comments, feel free to send me an email and the links that I mentioned and the show notes for this episode are at healthyhacker.com slash 22.